Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you, and um, I'm glad that you're here today. We have a good group with us today. We had a good, uh, our toy store was yesterday, sponsored by the Pilot Mountain Baptist Association, but a lot of people in this church worked very hard to make that happen. And a lot of you gave and contributed and then served and did, and it worked great. Uh, I think we ministered, Donna, to... Uh, Something like 60-some parents, is that right? And about 120 children yesterday. So that's really a great work. And uh, I'm proud that our church is able to do it. I'm proud that you support it and do it. And I'm glad that we're able to do that. It's it's a good ministry. Um, David, do you have that slide? Can you put that slide up from downstairs? Yeah. I don't know if you can see this. I wanted to show you this. A lot of you don't get a chance to, uh, you don't come downstairs out in front of AJ and I's office. The uh, children's ministries, uh, SunQuest and our Wednesday night, the teachers and leaders, they did this for Pastor Appreciation Day. And you probably can't, Pastor Appreciation Month, which was a couple months ago, but they did this for us. And um, I don't know if you can see it, but there are all the little sheep and there's a bunch of little kids got their head, their pictures there on it. And then the shepherds down at the bottom, they uh, caught AJ and I in a robe, I guess, right? And and put our heads on it. But anyway, that, I, I wanted to show you that. If you get a chance, come down and see it. It's really great. It's really a wonderful uh, gift and we, we really appreciate it. We've enjoyed it and we put it right between our offices so we can see it. I didn't put it up because it's still there. If I'd have put it up, it would already fallen down. But somebody else put it up, and it's still there, and I'm grateful for it. So we're, our, we have great uh, young, our children and their leaders do a great job downstairs. Let me um, tell you a little bit about what we're going to do as we preach through the Sundays of Advent. We're going to look at Luke's story and the wonder of Christmas, and each week we're going to talk about a different aspect of that. And I, I trust that when you finish that you will find the wonder of Christmas in the Word of God. That's that's really where I, I want us to be at the end of Christmas. You're surrounded by Christmas and everything that you do, you cannot miss Christmas. If you if you are connected by any media, television or radio or the internet or if if you go to the mall or if you go downtown or if anything. I mean we have everything. We have uh we have buttons Donna wore a little button yesterday. I wish I had taken a picture of that, Donna, because I looked at that thing all day before I figured out what it was. And it was a it was a button, green and red, which indicated to me it was Christmas, and it had an L with an X through it. And I said, Donna, what does that mean? She said, no, like no, and then the L, no L. Got it? <laughs> so I said, when she told me, I said, I'm not sure I still get it, but I got you know. I mean, I, I have a, I have a sense of humor, but I just didn't, it just didn't come to me. That entertained me most of the day, though, trying to figure that out. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter one. We're going to begin the Christmas story where the Christmas story begins in the Gospel of Luke. Matthew and Luke have parallel, but not the same accounts. Uh, we've been preaching through John and, and in John, we get some narrative events, but we largely get teaching. These are narrative events. And so each of these messages will be a different event that we'll study and look at. Today we talk about the angel appearing 
to tell the parents of John the Baptist that this messenger, the forerunner of Jesus, would be born. It is the beginning of the Christmas story. I'm going to read chapter 1, starting with verse 5, all the way through 25. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of the incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. They were praying. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding to the right of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man. My wife is well along in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now listen. You will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. And when he did come out, he could not speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remaining speechless. And when the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you'll speak clearly to us today through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I I want you to get a little picture for what's going on in Israel here. This is an amazing story. You know, we... Talk, always talk about the Christmas story. We talk about the, 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 the cradle and the manger, the angels. All of these things are very important. I, I want you to picture a stage here. And the stage is, you, you've come, you come to watch a play. Curtain opens. There's nothing there. You've been told there's going to be a play, but there's no play. The stage is dark. And, you know, if we did that, we could do a little psychological study. And, and what we would all do is we would all sit there in silence for a minute or so. And then we would start looking at each other. What's the deal? What's going on? I came to see a play. Where's the play? And then we'd say something to our neighbor. And then we'd be talking. And then, then in a few minutes, somebody would say, well, I'm going to go find out what's going on here. And they'd get up and walk to the back. You, you can picture how this would go. 
The nation of Israel was waiting on something to happen. They've been waiting 400 years. There's not been a word from God in 400 years. Not one word. Nothing. Malachi the prophet said, in chapter 3, verse 1, he, he had made a statement. He said, I'm going to send my messenger and he'll clear the way. That's it. That's all they had. They go back to the book of Daniel. You know, I'm going to do a little plug for our study in Daniel. If you, if you want to, in the book of Revelation, if you want to understand this verse, I'm just going to read it to you. But the same angel that spoke to Zechariah in the temple that day said to Daniel four hundred and ninety or four hundred and seventy years before, he said this, no one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So what Daniel was told by the angel, and I'm not going to explain the weeks, but just understand the weeks mean years and the Jews all understood that. So, so he's saying there's going to be 69 weeks from the time that God ordered the, the, the wall in, in Jerusalem to be rebuilt in Nehemiah's time until the birth of a Savior would be 490 years. 490 years. 69, 69 weeks. And, and that's about how long it was. So if the nation of Israel had been reading the Bible and listening to the word of God, they didn't know when God was going to speak. But the nation of Israel had just about, they were frantic for God to do something. They had not heard a word about the Messiah in over 400 years. And the stage is dark. They were in captivity in Rome. Hard times under a hard-handed Jewish king who had been appointed by the Romans. Herod, things weren't good for the Jewish people. In the back of the stage, then a little, little light just pops up. There's a little light. And there's the story of Zechariah. I, I want you to, I want you to understand something, church. And I'll, I, this is kind of my whole story. David, you can go to the first point. I want you to understand that the wonder of Christmas is that we can absolutely depend on God's word to us. You can absolutely depend on it. You can count on it. The nation of Israel waited over 400 years for God to act. God acted exactly when he said he was going to act. He acted in exactly the way that he said he was going to act. He would send a Messiah, but first he'd send a messenger ahead of him. And that's exactly what he did. The nation of Israel should have been sitting there waiting, but they weren't waiting, were they? They were worried. They lost their faith, many of them. Their religion had turned to just worshiping out of rote, just doing whatever they could do. They were in rough shape spiritually. But God acted exactly the way he said he would act. So I I want you to understand this. And if you don't get anything else today, I want you to know that God's word is completely trustworthy. It is absolutely and completely trustworthy. Every word of what God says in the Bible is absolutely trustworthy. You can count on that. Now, you say, Jim, you kind of beat that point to death. And I beat that point to death because as a Christian, as a believer in 2017, I have to say that almost every day. That God's word is absolutely trustworthy. I can absolutely depend on every word in the Bible. I can absolutely depend on every promise that God made. And you say, well, Jim, that's, of course you can. But 
do we really do that? Because I've been through times of grief and I know that a lot of times in grief I say, you know, I can't, I just can't hardly endure this difficulty. You say, well, yeah, I understand. But the Bible says that God has defeated death. And that we have hope after life. And that that a Christian doesn't die. That he goes from this world into the presence of God in eternity. Those are the absolute promises of God. They are something that we can hold on to. And we can count on. we got to know that. you Church, if, if you want to find the wonder of Christmas, you do. And take the word of God at face value. And God's word is available and relevant to you. Let me, let me tell you how this worked out for, for Zechariah. Here, here was a man. The Bible tells us that he was, that he was a good fellow. He, he was a priest. He, um, he was one of the orders of priests in the nation of Israel. The, the priest had duty. They were on duty at certain times to work in the temple. And when they were working in the temple, they all had priestly duties. They would be like, okay, it's my month to be in the in the temple. So he would put on his robe and kiss his wife goodbye and head into Jerusalem. And, and there he would serve. They drew lots to see who would go inside the Holy of Holies. Who would go to the inside of the temple, to the most holy place, to the presence of God in the nation of Israel before Jesus came. And who would go in there and burn incense for the prayers of the people? While the people prayed, the lot fell to Zechariah. Now he's an older man. He and his wife, Elizabeth, she was also born to a priestly line. She was in Aaron's household. So both of them were priests. They were faithful people. The Bible tells us that they were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. So they were good people. They, uh, you know, I almost, the way this is worded, I, I get it. They were both living without blame according to all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. Uh, the requirement part triggers my mind. You know, they were being faithful even when they didn't see a word from God. They were doing exactly what God told them to do. They were trusting that God was right and on target and going to be there. Even though they didn't see it in their own life, they were getting on up in age and they were childless. In Jewish society, to be childless was a curse. It meant there was something wrong with you. You had, you had something, there was a flaw. There was a flaw in your character. It wasn't a, a physical problem. It wasn't a problem with conception. It was a problem with your character. You, God didn't trust you with a child. That's the way the Jews saw it. So this was an offense to them. They were, they were deeply hurt by it. We, we don't look at childlessness the same way today. We, we, we look at it like some people are called to, to have parents and some people are called not to, have, to be parents. And, and, and they both have a duty with God. We, we both have responsibilities. I'm, I'm glad there are people that don't have children because they fill gaps and do things that other people can't do. I'm glad that people do have children so we have children. But everybody doesn't have to have children. God doesn't call all couples to have children. It's, but in the nation of Israel, that was a big deal. But here was a couple that was childless all of their life and they waited. They didn't have any choice. I mean, no, one like they said, well, God told us to do this and they were faithful. They, 
They were good, righteous people. They were blameless before God. They did all they could do to keep the commandments of God. Here's another thing about Zechariah is that he kept doing his duty. He kept working during the time that the light wasn't on the stage. It was all dark. And Zechariah put on his priestly robes. And when it was his time, he went to the temple. Even though God had not blessed them with children, the most basic thing for every couple, Zechariah didn't have that. And yet he still trusted God and was faithful to do what God called him to do. You see that? You see how important that is? Because sometimes you and I don't get the blessing that we think we ought to get or we don't get the blessing that we want or we don't even get the blessing he prayed for. Did you notice that it said in verse 13, the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. He'd been praying about this. He might have been praying all his life for children. Now, I don't know how old he was. The Bible indicates they were well up in their years. That means they were beyond childbearing years, 50, 60, 70 years old. They were too old to have children. It's amazing to me how God always used childless couples to bless his people. God always takes a couple. Abraham, a 100 years old, his wife in her 80s, bore their first child. They laughed. They thought it was so ridiculous that they would have a baby. She got pregnant. (laughs) Had a son, a promised son. Isaac, the son of promise, also infertile. Two generations of God's people were infertile. But God brought a child, child promise. Here we have a couple that's waited all their life for a child. Late in their life, just about when the stage is clearing out, the light flicks on and God appears to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a baby. So I want you to know that you got to trust in God's word. You can absolutely depend on it. And sometimes we've got to wait on it. We've got to wait. We've got to be patient. We, ha- we have to be faithful. We, we have to read God's word and take it to heart. And church, that's not easy to do, is it? I know a lot of you are doing that now. You're doing that in grief. You're doing that in time of adjustment. You're, you're doing that in difficulty and a crisis in your life. But I, I pray... That you'll find the wonder of Christmas and you won't, you won't despair. You won't say, well, there's no play here. <laughs> You're going to say, oh, no, the light's coming on. God promised it. I can depend on it. I want you to know that. I want you to count that. I, wa- I want you to know that God is absolutely trustworthy. His word, you can absolutely depend on. And while you wait, do what God calls you to do. Be faithful to what he says. Keep doing the things that God sent you to do. Just like Zechariah did. He kept doing, that's what I love about him. He didn't have any of the promise that God had promised. There was no Messiah. There was no son in their own family. And yet Zechariah was faithful to that. I, I love him for that. He's a great example to us. He kept on doing what he did. And then, so he's in there in the temple doing what God called him to do. He was there by lot. I mean, that's basically... They threw the dice and said, which one of the priests goes inside? And they had to do that. They had a way to do it. They drew by lot. They drew lots. I'm not recommending that we make that our decision-making criteria here. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us. But that's how they picked the priest. And so he stood in the inner part of the temple, 
to burn incense for the people who were praying outside. And it's just then, that's when Gabriel appeared. The prophecy I read from Daniel, by the way, was spoken by Gabriel. Isn't that amazing? The same guy that said 490 years ago, who stood before Daniel and told Daniel, I'm... I'm going to deliver your people and this is how he's going to do it. And he laid out God's plan of redemption from the point of Israel's captivity to the recapture of the universe by the Lord Jesus Christ in the last days. I mean, you're talking about a prophecy. Three verses and Daniel covers all of history. And Gabriel, did, did you notice about Gabriel, about an angel? He he said, I am Gabriel, in verse 19, who stands in the presence of God. Gabriel had gone from the presence of God, and he appears to Zechariah, picked by a lot to be inside the temple, and delivered a message to him, you and your wife are going to have a baby. You can count on that word, can't you? Because it came straight from God. And so you and I have the Bible. We have God's word. I want you to be able to count on it. Angels are messengers. They're, you know, uh, we get a lot of misconceptions about angels. They praise, they praise God. And when Jesus will be born, we'll see how, how throngs, myriad after myriad, thousands upon thousands of angels. Boy, I, I just, I can't picture what that would have been like. I look at that full moon. You know, we got a super full moon going on now tonight. Go look outside. It's supposed to be a bigger full moon now than other times. I'm not sure why it's super, but it is bigger and brighter. But the night that Jesus was born, they said, the sky is filled. Thousands upon thousands and thousands of angels. Can you imagine that? So angels praise God and announce things. They carry messages. They will carry out judgment. When our relatives die, they don't become angels. (laughs) Our relatives go to the presence of God. They worship God alongside the angels. But we, we stand above the angels, actually. We're made in the image of God. So don't fall victim to all the angel misinformation. Just read what the Bible says. The Bible tells you what they do. They rejoice when sinners repent and are born again. They carry God's instructions. I want you to look at what happened to Zechariah when he saw an angel. He was startled and overcome with fear. Verse 12. That, that's, that's what he's saying. The angel had the first words out of, out of the angel's mouth. Don't be afraid, Zachariah. It's okay. Here, here is an angel. Here is a, here is a creature that has gone from the throne room of God right to earth. And our first response of a godly righteous man is that he was overcome with fear. You know why he's fearful? He's fearful because Zechariah knows who he is. He knows he's not worthy to stand in the presence of God. He's not worthy to stand in somebody who just a few moments before was in the throne room of God. He knows his own weakness. You know, you and I, are, we're, we're afraid of things. We're afraid of the dark or we're afraid of stuff's going to come out and get us. Or little kids, I was always afraid of what was under my bed or outside my window. You know, we don't have to be worried about those things. But we ought to be worried if we're not right with God and we face an angel. Because God, listen, listen uh, one of, one of uh, my favorite commentators said this, and I wanted to get to this in my notes. I know it's here. 
J.C. Ryle writes, he says, don't forget the terror of the wicked on the last day. Even if the righteous are troubled by a sudden vision of friendly angels, how will the ungodly act when the angels come to collect them for judgment? The fears of the saints are groundless and endure for a short while. The fears of the lost, when once aroused, are well-founded and will endure forever. You see, Zechariah as a man was encountering the full presence of God. He encountered a person who had stood in the presence of God. And he was afraid. You and I don't have any reason to be afraid of them. We have no reason to be afraid of anything. Because we have God looking after us, right? You can absolutely count on the word of God. Number two. The wonder of Christmas comes by the greatness in God's way and the quality of his gift. You know, I tell you, when we look at what God sent at Christmas, we, we have to marvel at how wonderful Christmas really is. Listen to verse 13. Don't be afraid, Zachariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You're going to name him John. So he's going to have a son. He knows his name. There will be joy and delight for you. These parents are going to joy and delight. You know, if I, if I was in my 70s and an angel appeared to Debbie and I, I think my first reaction would be, oh, no, how are we going to do this? It wouldn't be, could God do it? I know he could do it. It's just, how are we going to do it? I mean, I get a little nervous with our grandkids overnight. And if we had a baby, oh me. <laughs> oh me. But the angel said, there'll be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. Zechariah, you have a little baby that a lot of people are going to have joy from that little child. You're going to have joy as a couple. You're going to know joy that you never had. But many are going to rejoice at his birth because the whole stage of Israel is out there waiting and the light flicks on and God's done something. And they see God's moving. Next week we see he's moving even more. The big light over the stage comes on next week. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Wouldn't, you know, parents, that's the potential we have with children. That our children can be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll never drink wine or beer. No commentary on alcohol here. I'm not telling you one way or the other about it. This, this child would be a part of an order that would not drink wine or beer. He would be sec- a select child. He would be off from the rest of the people. Everybody else in Israel would be able to drink wine. That would be a common drink. This child would not drink wine because he would separate himself from society. He would be a different, he was a different little guy. I always thought I was a little bit different. John the Baptist, way different. He was absolutely different from the other kids around him. Listen to that. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. So this child would be filled with God's Spirit. Parents, don't ever underestimate what God can do in your children. You know, that, there's the capacity right there. That in your womb, your child can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I would say if that's possible, and it is because the word of God says it is, then I would say that you do everything that you can to encourage that. You pray for that child, you worship for that child, you teach that child while they're still in the womb. When they come out, oh, I I wish I had that opportunity again. I wish I'd understood this scripture like that when I had little children. Some of you have them invest in their spiritual growth. We spend so much time investing in their physical growth, invest in their spiritual growth. Teach them, instruct them, pray for them, pray with them. Make them little regurgitators of the word of God. The spirit of God will live in them too. 
Listen to verse 16. He'll turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. See, John the Baptist, his ministry would be to turn people. Yeah, that's a tough ministry. It's one thing if you just kind of lead people along. If you got to turn them in a different direction, that's a tough job. That's what John the Baptist would do. He would, he would turn people to the nation of Israel. He would prepare God's way. He will go before them, but go before him. That is, he'd go before the Messiah. In the spirit and the power of Elijah, Elijah spoke truth and judgment to the people of Israel and they listened for a while. And that's what John the Baptist would do is he would speak truth and judgment to the people of Israel. He would be out, uh, if, if Jesus would come behind him, John the Baptist is, is, is furrowing the field. He's, he's getting ready for the, for the planter. He's going to make way. And it said he would turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Oh boy, we need that in our world, don't we? We need fathers turn to their children to love them and care for them and nurture them and be godly parents. That's what we need for children, for fathers to do. And the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous. See, John the Baptist would convict people. He would call them out on their sin. He'd say, you got to repent. you got to turn and do a different thing and be baptized. That's what John the Baptist would do. So the angels tell in Zechariah, this is what your son's work is going to be all about. And his work would be to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So that when Jesus the Messiah came on earth, there would only be a few months apart from these two, six months. But when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist had been preaching several years. He had already done the work. Everybody knew about him. He had a big following of people. And you know what's so amazing is that John knew exactly what his job was. He did, he knew he had all this popularity, how all these people followed him. He had all these throngs of people. He had disciples after him. And when Jesus showed up, he said, the one that's coming right down there, I'm not worthy to even tie his shoes. He knew exactly who Jesus was. He knew his place. So the wonder of Christmas is how wonderful the gift is. Zechariah was going to have a child and it was going to be a great child. I'll tell you, when God does something in our lives, he does something great. You and I, you know, we, we get bored with God sometimes. I think we just underestimate him. I think we stop praying, we stop listening, we stop waiting. Angel said it's going to be well worth the wait. You know, uh, the, the last point I want to make here is that the wonder of Christmas is hard to grasp. And and some of you are saying, yeah, Jim, but you just don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know what I've experienced. And, and that was Zechariah. He goes to verse 18. He says, how can I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well long years. How are we going to have a baby like this? How is this going to work? Zechariah is not asking him how it's going to be done. He's saying, can it be done? Is it even possible? Well, is it possible, church, for God to say something? Is that possible and be done? Yes. I, I want to tell you, that if you, and again, my main point today is that if you read it in the word of God, know that it is possible. It will happen. And we see here that it even happened according to God's timetable. 490 years, 69 weeks. That's going to be there. 69 463 years, excuse me. 69 times 7. That's how many years it was. Almost to the month. You can absolutely depend on it. But it was hard for Zechariah. He's a good man. He's a faithful man. But he says, I don't know about this. 
And then Gabriel reminded him, I, I stood in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. In other words, Zechariah, you, you forgot who I am, brother. I came right from the throne. I delivered a message that God gave me. You can count on it. But he said, because of your lack of faith, you're not going to be able to speak until the day that all these things take place. So Zechariah was told, you lost your faith there for a minute. And so he's not going to be able to talk now for nine months. Can you imagine that? Here's a priest, can't talk for nine months. I mean, he's got to say something when he comes out of the temple. And all the people kind of looked at him. It says down here that, that, that he took, stayed so long that they were, the people were amazed he stayed so long. Most of these guys did their work, came out. Zechariah was in there a long time. He came out. He could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the sanctuary. And he kept making signs. He had to. He was speechless. He lost his faith for just a moment. Now, I'm not going to tell you that you're going to lose your faith or God's always going to punish you. But I, I'm, I'm going to say that unbelief is a sin. I'll say that. And, and in whatever way that it's a sin, and I'm guilty of unbelief, and I imagine you're guilty of unbelief, and I'm, I don't always take the promise of God at face value, and you don't either. And I struggle sometimes with things that are pretty easy in the Word of God that are pretty clear and pretty straightforward, and sometimes I have a hard time believing them, or I just say, I, I don't know. I, don't, I just, I'm not seeing that right now, God. That's a sin. But thankfully, God's covered my sin with the blood of Christ. But I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to read the word of God faithfully and powerfully and intently and read it with a sense of obeying it and listening to it and believing it, every word of it. That's what I want to encourage you to do. If Zechariah would have heard the angel and did exactly what the angel said, that's all that was required. But he had to question it. He had to question it. Now, Mary would do the same thing over in verse 34 or so. But Mary is asking the angel how this is going to happen. Zechariah is asking it, will this happen? That's the difference. So you and I, a good prayer every day ought to be something like, Lord, help me to accept your word and apply it to my life as it is. If there's a promise of hope that I need in his word, I need it in my life. There's some of you that need the promise of God's word and, and, uh, I, I'm, I'm talking to somebody who's outside the church right now and they're having a lot of problems and they call me a lot. And, uh, they know about the Bible and they may or may not be a believer. I don't know. But one of the things I say to them a lot, I said, do you believe the Bible? Yes. They say, then listen to it. Read it and listen to it. And they read it. They don't listen to it. And they struggle with the same problem day in and day out. Same thing. The Bible's clear on it. They just don't read it. So Zechariah, guilty of the sin of unbelief. But listen to how this story ends. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. He still can't talk. He walked in. I don't know how he got that word across to Elizabeth. I guess he wrote it down for her. We're going to have a baby. Well, she figured that out. Because the Bible says after these days, his wife conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. Just as good as the word of the angel is the word of God. And she became pregnant and kept herself in in seclusion for five months. And she said in verse 25, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. So you see, God 
worked powerfully in her life. Just as he said he would do. He sent a messenger to the nation of Israel. So our story finishes today. The dark stage, we've all probably stayed in our seats. And a little light comes on in the back. And the angel said, a messenger is coming. He's bringing the Messiah. God's redemption is at hand. It's right here. Be patient. It's, it's something you can count on. So I want to wrap it up. It's time to quit. Two things. The passage answers a difficult question about what we do when God does not work on our timeline. you you got to know that, don't you? I mean, when God doesn't work on our timeline, 490 years is a long time for anybody. I got it. I mean, our country's not 250 years old, hardly. That's twice the length of our nation's history almost. So we're going back to before the, before the settlement at Jamestown in 1600, 1609. I mean, it's a long time ago that God had not spoken to the nation of Israel. I want you to know God's word. Have, have you all learned that God doesn't work on your timeline? I've learned that. That's one of my hardest lessons that I've learned in life. You see, when I pray something, I think my idea of, of the Bible and my simple childlike faith is that if I pray something, then that night God works and the next day it's there. It doesn't work. That's not God's way of doing it. I've learned that often you pray for stuff like Zechariah did for years and God answers it his own way. He might give it what you ask. He might change what you want. He might give you something entirely different. Often I found God answers prayer by changing what I want and what I ask for. That's part of the interaction with God, I think, and part of the learning with God. But you and I have to learn that God does not answer prayer on our timeline. If you think for a minute that when you get into a crisis and you can ask God to heal you or to restore your job or to bring your family together and you expect him to do it and then you're angry at God when he doesn't do it because he will not operate on your timeline. He will not. God operates on his timeline. He's working here. He's working for your best good. He's working in a lot of other ways that you and I don't even see. You have to accept and know from the word of God, that's a a fact. God doesn't work on our timeline. Everything that he promises will one day be fulfilled. That is an absolute fact. There is no qualification to that. It, It won't be like, well, you know, God didn't do that because he just didn't get around to it. No, he will He will do exactly as he said. Our job is to be patient and to be righteous and obedient. Oh yeah, righteous, that's a hard word. A New Testament, an Old Testament meaning, the the word means that we're made righteous by Christ in the New Testament. You're not righteous on my my account or on your account. Christ made us righteous. So you're faithful. You, You just keep living and being obedient, doing what God called you to do and wait and expect. You know, Jesus said that. He, he said to the nation of Israel, when he looked around, he saw all the sin and all the disobedience and all the problems. He said, he said, listen, when I come back, will there be any faithful left? We got to wait on him. We got to be patient. He doesn't work. And, and, and I wrote down this week, I said, will we be so cynical or discouraged or beaten down that we don't believe what God says? He told us he would do. I know some people like that. You probably do too. Might be yourself. Zechariah did exactly what he should do. He stayed righteous and he stayed faithful. 
And he kept doing what God called him to do. You know, if, if Zechariah was like a lot of Christians, he would say, well, I'm going to quit going to the church because it's not doing me any good. Well, actually, it did do him some good because he went to the church and went to the temple and did what God called him to do. And that's where the angel came and spoke to him. So he was right where God called him to be. They understood. Zechariah understood what it was like to be in the presence of God. We might criticize him a little bit for his lack of faith, but boy, when he saw an angel, he knew who he was. You and I need to have a good old-fashioned fear of God. I don't want to. I don't want to end a Christmas sermon with a fear of God, but I think it needs to come in there. I think Zechariah knew enough about himself to know that when he stood in the presence of an angel, he wasn't right with God. But there's a lot of people in our world today. There are a lot of people in our churches today that sin indiscriminately with no fear of God. They have no fear. And, and let me tell you, they have no regard for God's word. I'm not a legalist by any means. I wouldn't, people that know me well would not say that I'm a legalist. But I will tell you, there are a lot of Christians that intentionally disobey the word of God and they think God's not going to do anything about it. I promise you that he will because his word says he will. We need to be faithful and obedient. Our generation is a generation of irreverence. Uh, we, we've lost our fear of God. We've lost our fear of God's word, of God's promises, of God's judgment. We fear all kinds of things. We don't fear God. Maybe at Christmas we ought to regain a little reverence and, yeah, even a little fear of God. That when we stand in his presence, we know who he is and we know who we are. God sent his son at Christmas. You know, that's a story I'm going to tell you all the time and time again. That God sent his son at Christmas. He, he sent his son who stood with him at the creation of the world. He made him to be a baby and put him in a manger in the poorest, dirtiest little town in the world. And he did that because he loves us. That's the story of Christmas. You know, uh, the Bible, the word of God tells us to be faithful and, and to tell people the story, I was talking to Carol yesterday. She told me something that really, really, uh, really touched me. You know, we got to be faithful with that. A lot of Christians aren't very faithful about telling what God did in their life. We got people in our lives that really need to hear that. And, and, and we just don't talk about it much. Uh, I asked Carol if I could do this. She said, I could. Tony works down Sitgo downtown. I don't know him. Never met him. I'm going to go down there and try to meet him one day. But he said he had felt inclined one day to ask a customer if he knew why we had Christmas. And the guy says, no, I don't think I do. And so he told him the story about Jesus. About how God sent Jesus into the world to save us. And he sent him as a little baby in Bethlehem. And the guy says, well, I had never heard that. I didn't know that's why we had Christmas. What a great messenger. What a, what a great way of being faithful. He didn't beat him over the head with the Bible. He didn't tell him he was going to hell because he wasn't saved. He didn't tell him anything negative. He told him the story of Jesus. What a great story. What a great story of being faithful and obedient to God's word. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how God measures gifts, but I assure you that man has a gift in heaven for that. Church, capture the wonder of Christmas. In God's word, you have at your finger tips everything 
that God has promised you. Use it, listen to it, and apply it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you'll speak to our hearts and not just to our ears. That you'll touch us in ways that we cannot see. We thank you that you love us in spite of who we are. That you go to great pains to redeem us. To save us when we didn't deserve it. We thank you, Lord, that we can have real joy regardless of what we have in our life this Christmas because of what you've done. I pray that you'll touch each of us. If it is to faith for the first time, that you'll lead us to faith. If it is to recommitment or to service, God, I pray you'll do that. I thank you for what you give us, for what you do for us, and for what you promise that you will do. In Jesus' precious name, amen.